Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. Matthew 4, verse 4. Now, obviously, the Lord here is uh, being tempted by the devil. Which, man, I wish I had the time to unpack this morning. But if you look at the progression of the Lord's life, uh, here is Jesus. Let's, we can just back up a few, uh, just a bit in the, in the timeline of the Lord's life. Here's Jesus being introduced to Israel as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist, who takes away the sins of the world. And notice that that is the first uh, point of introduction from the best man, John the Baptist, and this bridal paradigm uh, who will decrease as the Lord increases. That's all marital talk. It's very bridal in nature. The, the typography there is similar to a best man in a Mediterranean or Middle Eastern wedding, which I'm really familiar with. And as the bride and groom connect, the best man is taken off the scene to a degree. And it's the nature of preparing the way of the Lord. It, it's not only a time to come, but it is a habitual lifestyle to be the one that fades away as Jesus is glorified. Does that, does that make sense? So it's not just a moment where that will take place, but it is a habitual rhythm of life that as Jesus is glorified, we dissolve into the shadows. Not because we're not valuable. It's just the nature of preparing the way of the Lord. Okay. And so, I remember leaving Kona one time. I was teaching at YWAM, and uh, I flew back a few months later, and Andy Bird introduced me. Obviously, he was a dear friend. We had the joy of starting the Send together, and we still work together. But Andy introduced me this way, and I thought, man, I, I don't know how to take that, Andy. But it was spot on spiritually. He said... It's always great to have Michael in the tent. They, they, they have a tent there on the Kona base. He said, because we don't know when he's done and when he leaves. We have no clue he even left. And I was like, man, that means, <laughs> means I didn't do a whole lot in the tent. And then he coupled it with, it's because we're fixed on Jesus and we have no time to look at him. To this day, that's probably the greatest introduction I've ever gotten on my way up to a platform. That the people were aware of Jesus by the time it was all done. And to me, that's successful ministry. Amen? The Holy Spirit told me when we started Jesus' image, I don't even think, we may have just incorporated, he said, if the people are more aware of your ministry than the person of Jesus, it's just proof 
I did not lead the meeting as I wanted to. It's actually something Mike's been talking about and something uh, Esther touched on in the altar call and something Stephanie Gretzinger mentioned on the panel last week. The way is becoming more narrow. And it's not a way that's disconnected from Jesus. He is that way. It's him. And so his name will become uh, more and more the issue in every area of life where eventually it will crescendo with this type of question. Who is God? Tell me specifically. What is he like? And some of the language in circles that I love, in spirit-filled circles that the Lord has done much with and still is, our language has become vague and dull and less Christian as we speak about a God that we struggle to define according to Jesus himself. Does this make sense to you? So we speak about a good, good father or the goodness of the father or the love of the father and forget the gospel. For instance, Peter receives a revelation in Matthew's gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my whole church on that. (laughs) That's amazing. One of the great rat races you can get into is creating systems that create more systems, more initiatives that create more initiatives, more fundraising opportunities that offer other, so we fund our fundraising opportunities. We have conferences to launch the next conference. We plant campuses to plant the next one. We host events that aren't centered on Jesus. They are maybe through the opening prayer, but we use that event to get people to the next event or the next school or the next service. And it's this hamster wheel. And unless you have the time to settle in and actually find stillness, which is an art form, and the only way by which the Lord is beheld, when the heart is still, and that simply means to be disconnected from everything that's not him and connected to him. That is stillness. That's the stillness of the heart. It is disconnection by connection. I tell our students all the time in the... In the school and at the, at the Bethany house, Bethany room, you're not praying until you forget you are. If you're aware that you're praying, there's a long way to go in the depths of prayer. You can, there's a more beautiful place where nothingness, this divine separation, this divine circumcision takes place in the heart where the Lord becomes all in all and you, for, you don't even know what you're doing. Those are the depths of communion. So Jesus is spoken about less and when he is, the question we must ask is, is it biblical? 
it, are, are we talking about the same one? So Jesus tells Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my whole church. But I want you to think of that. He says, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And that means a few things. Number one, the powers of darkness will be destroyed. And God is so good that through the glory of the gospel, he will crush the devil under our little feet. That's like getting into a street fight and having your six-year-old daughter beat the guy up. It's a glorious narrative, right? That's one. But it also, the gates of hell also speak of death. Church, death has been overcome. Death has been destroyed by death. It doesn't mean we do not experience this unless Jesus returns first. All of us will leave this body. Of course. The Lord didn't so much bypass it, but he transformed it. The grave's power is no more over the saints. We will not, we will not, thank you Jesus, spend forever in corruption. We will receive new bodies. So Jesus says the gates of hell, and it's really on those two fronts, the powers of darkness and the destruction of death, and Jesus is so mighty and thorough in his being that he has destroyed what the devil used to torment the nations with. That's Hebrews 2. The fear of death. Are you saying I don't need to be afraid to die? That's exactly what I'm saying. You do not be afraid to die. As Paul Teske said, you'd have to be nuts to go to heaven and want to come back to this crazy place. <laughs> That's a revism, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just like something Rev would say. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon this revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he promises to be the builder. Are you tracking with me? So he's the builder, and the substance by which he builds is the revelation of Jesus. Weak church, weak revelation of Jesus. Mixed church, mixed vision of Jesus. Limited church, limited vision of Jesus. Impotent church, impotent vision of Jesus. Everything he does is according to that revelation. Thou art the Christ. You are King, Messiah, and the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. You are the Son of the living God. You are fully God and fully man. And since you are King, Messiah, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, who is fully God and fully man, you will return again to rule and reign. That's the gospel in one phrase. That's how the Lord builds the church. Your internal strength is directly connected to your vision or lack thereof of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, that was just the foundation. That must be a biblical vision. When I'm saying vision here, I don't mean you caught up with an open eye vision. I'll take one, Lord, if you'd like to do that, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about our vision must be biblical. 
So when you talk about the Lord, let's be real clear. Who are you talking about? When you talk about God, what's that look like to you? I remember Larry King, I think, asked Pastor Benny a question. What is divine? He said, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it looks like to be divine. Straight to the point. Maybe you're asking, well, could I talk about Jesus too much? I don't know. They sing, worthy is the Lamb, on repeat in heaven. Forever. Worthy is the Lamb who was... So the Lord gives Jesus this, or Peter, this revelation. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. What's the next thing Jesus does? Can I read it to you? I'll get back to Matthew 4 in a second. This is so powerful. basically ends verse 19 with and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one he was Jesus the Christ listen to this now from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Are you seeing the order? Seeing the narrative? Who do men say that I am? They say this, 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 and that. They say, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Good, let me show you what that looks like. The Christ must go to Jerusalem and die. Are you getting it? Great Peter, you get it. You get that I am the Lord. I am the Messiah. I am the express image of the glory of God. Hebrews chapter one. Paul tells the Colossians that Jesus is the visible, the visible image of the invisible God. Peter catches that. He catches this revelation from the Father. Now Jesus defines what It looks like to be the Lord. He comes to die. Is this tracking? Sometimes we we turn the Lord into like a superhero. You know, who never has a difficult day and who ever exists to just make all the junk go away. And as I've said before, we, he's more like Thor like, than Jesus. So it, it, instantly he turns them to the death, burial, and resurrection as Peter catches the revelation. And I want you to notice this. Peter's response in verse 22 is, is, is very Peter-esque. Then Peter took him aside. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not doing that. Like, Maybe I would, but hopefully I wouldn't. 
He's like, Lord, will you come here? <laughs> you know, John, I know he keeps you closer than he does me. I'm part of the three. I'm not the one. So this is my moment with him. You stay away. And he pulls the Lord over and begins to, the scripture says, rebuke him. Peter rebukes God. (laughs) And he tells him, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Verse 23, but he, (laughs) so Peter, you know, he's like, come here, let me help you, Lord. I don't know how the rebuke sounded, but uh, that's not something I would want said of me. I rebuke Jesus. And now Jesus turned the tables on him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Not you represent him. Not you're a bit like him right now. Not you're being inspired by him. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's some kind of leadership. How would our staffs do if we unleashed in that way? Get behind me, Satan. You, listen carefully, are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The cross, friends, the death, burial, and resurrection, the passion of Jesus, those are the things of God. That's what he's into. He is into death, burial, and resurrection. Every moment of every day. For as long as the earth remains, there shall be seed, time, seed, time, that's burial, and harvest, resurrection. I want you to notice here that anything that disconnects Jesus from Calvary he deems to be satanic. Are you getting that? This is him talking. He doesn't think it's weak. He doesn't think Peter could do better. (laughs) That's not what he said. He didn't say, I see potential in you right now. Just tweak this a little bit. Just throw the cross, I mean... Throw the gospel in there somewhere. Peter, you've got a lot of potential. Any attempt, listen carefully now, any attempt to see him as the Christ who is the son of the living God that is separate from the son of man must die, be buried, and raised again, according to Jesus, is a satanic initiative. Any attempt to create space between him and his cruciform nature, he deems, not Michael, he deems to be the work of Satan. And this, this, friends, this is the nucleus. This is the centrifuge. This is the epicenter. This is the hot lava rumble that fuels the volcano of every issue that we struggle with and every issue the church struggles with and every question that comes the church's way. It's not about how do you see this issue or that. The question is, how do you see Jesus? Preference is elevated 
when you lose a vision of the cross. Is this making sense? So in Matthew 4, Jesus makes this statement. Let me get back to John. So Jesus comes to the Jordan. John introduces as Lamb of God. And I would submit to you that the lamb-like nature of Jesus is mentioned miles more than the lion-like nature. The whole theme of the scripture is a lamb is coming. I mean, we don't know for sure. Some believe, I don't know, I wouldn't go out on a limb and say this, but it's possible that the skins that Adam and Eve were clothed with could have been a lamb. It wouldn't shock me if you look at the narrative of the scripture, right? You take now, you, you go to Abraham and Isaac and the Lord says, the Lord will, uh, Isaac says, the Lord will provide a lamb. Now this lamb-like announcement is released and this, it, it flows through the entire scripture. By the time you get to Isaiah, you see it in Isaiah's prophecy, he's led like a lamb to slaughter. Now John the Baptist shows up, the Jews knew. They knew the language when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lambs come to die and bleed. And so the Jordan opens. I should, I should say the skies open over the Jordan and Jesus steps into the Jordan. As Francis mentioned when he was here, some would say that they crossed over with the ark in the same place where Jesus was baptized. Now the living ark, the true ark, steps into the Jordan and rather than the waters opening, the heavens open. And the heavens are rent. Amen? All right, just stay with me. The blessed power of the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and in those waters... Jesus identifies with fallen humanity. There's an early church prayer that says it like this. You who in the Jordan set Adam free. Speaking of the children of Adam. When Jesus went into the waters of the baptism of repentance, having no need of repentance, this is beautiful identification. This is Jesus saying, I am not partially man. I am fully man. I was talking about this with my dad the other day. Jesus had a much more full human experience than Adam. It kind of grieves my spirit when, when I hear people say, well, he's just trying to get us back to what Adam had. No, 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 no. That would not be restoration. Jesus is way better than Adam. I actually heard a teaching where somebody was saying, Jesus and Adam... Adam was just like him. I go, wait, hold on. Jesus formed him. Jesus breathed into him. Adam was a dead piece of beautiful dust, a muddy piece of Play-Doh before Jesus went face to face with him and breathed into him. So you've got to start seeing Jesus as the God of the Old Testament. It won't make any sense. Huh? So Jesus identifies, but not because he needs to repent but because we need to repent and he wants us to know. He wants us to understand that he is fully in with us, fully identified. Never before had God needed a nap, but he did on a boat. What a savior we serve. What a high priest, amen? 
All right, let me, let me land the plane here in a second. Jesus comes out of those waters, clothed in the Spirit. John's Gospel says, the one whom you see, in the, whom you see the Spirit come upon and remain, he is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's the one. He's the chosen one. What comes next? The Spirit, not the devil. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. This is what I want to get to. You have the storyline now, right? Temptation is not a sin. You walk with Jesus long enough. By his mercy, if he decides to bring us close, you will face temptation. And if you cling to Jesus, that temptation will be used as a puppet to launch you into the more of God. You will not graduate from temptation until you receive a new body. At the same time, we do not have to yield to it. I got saved in this room in 1989. Healed right where the cross is. I have been, by the Lord's grace, I've had a chance to see and meet with some of the greatest people alive. Some known, some not known. That's not the marker. People who really walked in holiness. And when I mean holiness, I don't just mean they chose to not do a bunch of stuff. (laughs) What I mean is They were in but not of. They were caught up in God and he began to fill them to such a degree that even their countenance carried the tenderness of Jesus. I've met those kind of people, saintly people. And they're out there. They're out there. They're dying ones. Their entire days... Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. He who loses his life shall gain it. It's a, it, it's a cyclical, beautiful, romantic walk with Jesus. Every time they bear fruit, he prunes the branch so that they can bear more. It's this type of person. Opportunity doesn't feed them. His presence feeds them. Fame doesn't feed them. His presence feeds them. Huh? Ministry doesn't feed them. His presence feeds them. They're married to him. They don't lose their personality. But they've learned victory. Listen carefully. Look carefully. They've learned consistent victory over what I mentioned last week, the shiny object being dangled in front of them. I don't expect everyone to get that part. What's the shiny object? It's whatever isn't from him even if it looks Christian. The shiny object is the attaining of something. 
and being willing to forfeit the process to get there. It's caused by a lack of vision of what it's all about. It's actually about his faith. I know that sounds so simple. Can I? I'm going to say it again. It is really just about the face of Jesus Christ. It really is. So now Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted. And notice Adam falls in a garden that is lush and beautiful to the eye. Jesus does not fall in a wilderness and finds different food to sustain him where Adam and Eve fell. And so the devil wants to get to this issue of the Lord's weakness in his, in his physical body. He's fasting. So much so, uh, this part blows me away, that after the scripture says Jesus was done fasting, then he got hungry. I don't know about you, if you're like Jess or I, you're pretty hungry half a day in. <laughs> so scripture actually says uh, their gods are their stomach. Their God is their stomach. People say the power of the flesh has been completely destroyed. I think they're confusing the old man and the weakness of this body. This body naturally says sleep rather than get up for a watch. That's what this body does. Until the body comes under subjection, like Paul said. If by any means he himself, he said, be a castaway. So Jesus here responds to this temptation. Turn this stone into bread. And Jesus' answer is majestic. Man doesn't live by bread alone. That's another way of saying, buddy, I'm not Adam. You picked the wrong fight. You picked the wrong fight. I'm not just the second Adam either. I'm the last one. And I'm going to destroy you with weakness, through fasting, through solitude, through what your crew calls loneliness and extremity. But I don't need your food. And I won't work a wonder to entertain you. Because that's what Lucifer does. That's what Balaam did. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not for hire. There's something about me that you don't understand. I have food that you certainly don't know about. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Friends, your Bible is not a mere history book. No. The scriptures are not a manual. There's much more to the scriptures than life application. Listen, I want this to get into your soul. Last night I couldn't sleep very well. I got up early. I felt tired. 
But I, I thought, I'm not reading this morning for a sermon. I wasn't studying for a sermon. I actually remember my heart saying, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there is a place in prayer where your heart is speaking. You don't need to utter anything verbally. Those are true groanings that can't, can't, can't be uttered. Silence is the loudest form of prayer. And my heart said to the Lord, I'm not coming to you to get a sermon. I need bread. I need bread. That old song, feed me till I want no more. I need the power, the sustaining power of Holy Scripture that I can feast upon in the realm, in the atmosphere of your presence. What I want to land so deeply in your soul is that the scriptures are actually a matter of life and death. Are you hearing me? If you're going to pray, pray the scriptures. That's what the text means when it says of the book of Acts that they broke bread, they fellowshiped with one another, they fed on the apostles' doctrine and prayed the prayers, speaking of the Psalms. It is not religious to pray the Psalms. It's humble. It's actually a humble, it's humble to pray the prayers the church has been praying for 2,000 years. It is to say, I'm willing to join the great procession It's to say that I'm a piece of this puzzle. I'm not the puzzle. The word of God is food. Don't come to the scriptures as a devotional. What I mean by devotional is like this little check, you know? Oh, I did it. Good, I can go. No. Come to them like, like, like a, somebody who is dying on the inside that needs fresh food. This is, this is what I want to leave you with before we take communion. David is confronted with a giant who is mocking the God he loves. And David did not kill Goliath primarily because he hated him. He killed Goliath because Goliath mocked the God he loved. And so David could write, I love this, Psalm 18. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. You want to know how David killed Goliath? Through love for Jesus. You want to know how David killed his ten thousands? Through a love for Jesus. But you want to know how he crafted those weapons when the giant came to taunt him? He refused the king's armor. I'm, I feel the Holy Spirit now. Listen, listen to me. The thought that compromise in our ministries, in our families, in our spiritual lives can be justified through great ministry exploit is to put on Saul's armor. It is to hide behind the position and the anointing and to try to give that to the next generation. So Saul says, you know what? Go fight with my armor. And David goes, I'm not fighting your way. I'll serve you. I'll go low. I'll play the harp. 
I'll keep the demons off you. But when the baton is in my hand, I'm not doing it your way. Because you don't understand something, Saul. I found him on the backside of a pasture with a little harp tending to my father's business. I was the least likely to be chosen. My food is not to be close to you. My food is that touch I found when I hit a chord on the harp. And if I put your armor on, that giant will kill me. Why do you think we don't announce guest speakers here? I've had people go, you're doing the wrong, no, I'm not. I, I, no, I'm not. The church must progress beyond our generation. And if we build it on guest speakers, this thing will die. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's how a church is built. Now, I'm not saying if you do it, you're wrong. I'm just saying you cannot build a house on personality. You cannot build a house on ministry. You cannot build a house on photos. You cannot build a house on social media. You build a house on the revelation of Jesus. So David, David sees this giant who is taunting his God. And he says back to him, I'm going to cut your head off. I love that. I'm going to cut your head off. And the birds are going to eat your flesh. You come in the name of demons. Those demons that steal the seeds are going to torment you. When I'm done with you, the powers you are using will turn on you. That's the picture there. And so David says, I need weaponry. I'm going to go back to this sling that I used when I was all alone. The same weaponry. It's the weaponry you find alone with Jesus or on your piano. Whatever you're doing alone with the door closed, that's the weaponry. You learn the ways of the Spirit. You don't want to wait for the battle to find the weaponry. David had no question in his mind. I'm not using Saul's bow or sword. I'm using my slingshot. Because it toasted every devil before this. And it'll work again. And so he goes, listen carefully. He goes into the stream. He goes into the presence of God. Help me there, Ludi. He goes into the stream and he finds five smooth stones that symbolizes the grace of God. It's not just a little softer, a little softer. Yeah. It's not by might. Not by power, it's by my spirit. That's the grace of God. He finds stones that have been smoothed out by the flow of the stream. He didn't go like this. Oh man, I'm having a rough day. Hold on, Lord. Oh no, stone the witch. I'm having a problem with my wife. She's not a witch. No. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. The Bible says weak people retreat in the day of battle. The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. It's not about self-righteousness. How do you do it? How do you pull those five smooth stones? You get just like this every day of your life, every single day. And you come and you say, Lord... I worship you. I adore you. You begin to pour your heart out upon the Lord. And all of a sudden, that river begins to flow. And now you dip your hand, the hand of faith, the hand of hunger, the hand of attention. 
into that little stream and you start reading, all of a sudden, you'll find a smooth stone. You find that smooth stone and you start praying into that verse, into that word, into that portion of scripture that the Lord has given you. And as you pray it, the jagged edges of that stone begin to smooth out. You do that for hours, days, months, years. It might take you one year to get one smooth stone. I don't mean one year to read the Bible. I mean one scripture that is so meaningful to you that it becomes part of your arsenal till the day you die. It fills you at a DNA bone marrow level. If you're pressed, it comes out. Not in this weird name it, claim it. No, no, no. It comes out by the Spirit. You have a revelation of Jesus according to the Scripture, and you put that smooth stone away. Another month goes by, you put that smooth stone away. Another month goes by, you put the third one away, the fourth one away, the fifth one away, and all of a sudden, not because you're in sin. No, it's because the presence of God is clothing you. It's time to walk into the wilderness. Temptation comes your way. Goliath comes your way. And you will not fight those temptations with experience because Jesus didn't even do that. And as a humble lover of Jesus, you'd say to yourself, oh, no, 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 no. If he didn't do it, I won't do it. And you pull out that stone. You take it out of your bag, that little arsenal of yours, and you release the word of God through that same motion, that same weaponry of using that slingshot. And the wind of the Spirit carries that stone and it plants straight between the eyes of that giant. The word, friends, the word, friends, is bread in the face of temptation. And on the other side of that, that temptation is the grand outpouring of authority and a fresh touch of the Spirit that nobody can take away from you. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv